Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. My name is Mike McDaniel, joined by Ricky LeBlue. Uh, as you all probably know, without Andrew tonight, because he's not doing this entry read like we usually do, he's not doing the ad read. I'm going to have to struggle through that here in a minute. So it's just me and Ricky tonight talking about the football press conference that took place this afternoon as we record here on Wednesday, February 10th. And then we'll get into some of the recent basketball news, recap some of the games, and, and talk about the team. So. Ricky, what's going on, man? Um, it's been about a week since you and I have talked, about a week and a half, actually, since you and I talked with Andrew, and then we also had the Bruce Smith podcast as well that I thought went really well, but how are you doing, buddy? So, um, really quick, I do want to um, say shame on the Washington Post for their headline about Marty Schottenheimer. Garbage. Um I'm, I'm, I'm going to be writing something on it that'll probably be published tomorrow, but um, if you want to get a, a good idea as to what happened, uh, just just be patient on that. But the Washington Post put out a really shameful headline for uh, Marty Schottenheimer's obituary, and it was absolutely disgusting. Yep. And um, as a former Washington Redskins football fan, I understand that Dan Snyder didn't treat Marty Schottenheimer very well, but what the Washington Post did was just egregious, in my opinion. Yeah, the Washington um, Post, it turns out, thinks more highly of terrorists with their headlines than they do. Marty Schottenheimer, a coach that was beloved by literally everybody he came into contact with, regardless of the results of his teams on the field. So that's what I have to say about that, Rick. Yeah, so um, shame. I, 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 I see that they've changed it now. Uh, yes. Too little, too late, doesn't really matter. So let's go ahead and move on. Yeah, exactly. Uh, before we get into the Virginia Tech topics of this podcast, because again, this is a Virginia Tech podcast, we'll remind you that this podcast is sponsored by Main Street Pharmacy in downtown Blacksburg. And Jeremy, after listening to that open, probably couldn't be more happy that he's sponsoring our podcast, Rick. Um, <laughs> Why is that? <laughs> uh, just for everything we just said. So Main Street Pharmacy in downtown Blacksburg, they treat you like a neighbor, not a number, uh, locally owned and operated by Jeremy Counts, Dr. Jeremy Counts and his wonderful staff. Uh, make sure to go check them out, 301 South Main Street in downtown Blacksburg, Main Street Pharmacy. They'll take care of everything you need, Ricky. That's the abbreviated version. Not if, I, if I lived in Blacksburg still, I would go to Main Street Pharmacy. This is your spot. Don't go anywhere else. Don't go to CVS. Go to Main Street Pharmacy. And They're I would have gone to Main Street Farm before Jeremy started to sponsor the pot. That's right. Hey, they're they're hooking people up now with COVID shots, apparently, too. So yes. adding that to their Which, arsenal as well. Look, Look, um, if you are able to get the vaccine, I strongly consider that or strongly suggest you consider getting the vaccine. Yep. Talk it over with your doctor. If it's right for you, take it. Yep. 
And uh, if you don't know and you want to talk to somebody about it, go talk to Jeremy Counts because yeah. he is the guy who will not only just tell you everything you need to know, get informed, but he'll you up Get informed so you can make an informed decision. That's all, exactly. that's all I want you to do. Exactly right. All right, Ricky. So Virginia Tech, let's talk about the football program. Yeah, now let's go ahead and get all of, the, all of our just random BS out of the way. Yeah, let's talk about the football program. So Virginia Tech uh, made – Offensive coordinator Brad Cornelson and defensive coordinator Justin Hamilton available to the media today. How thrilling. Uh, which doesn't happen often. Um, and I, <laughs> some of the quotes that came out of it, I was on the call today. I mean, some of the quotes that were taken out of it were not well received necessarily by the fans. So we'll get into that. Uh, my initial thought on this is that it's very good that they're putting Nelson and Hamilton in front of the press. I think giving fans an opportunity to have more access to the program is something that, you know, a lot of fans have been vocal about for a while. So I think it's good that they're doing that, number one. Uh, but number two, I, I think to kind of get you through the doldrums of winter, you know, we still are, you know, a few weeks away, about a month away from spring practice, really just kind of getting into full swing. And you know, the media is able to have a little bit of a glimpse into what the coaches are thinking about the roster heading into spring, which I think was great. I think it's great that Virginia Tech did that. So a couple of things I want to talk about here, Rick. First, Brad Cornelson came up to the podium today and, you know, was asked a number of questions. Number one, uh, he was asked about Texas A&M quarterback Connor Blumrick coming in as a transfer and what he thought of him. He was asked about, uh, you know, what he thought of the quarterbacks transferring out of the program and headed hooker and Quincy Patterson more specifically with that, he was asked about the depth of the quarterback position at Virginia tech, which I thought he had some interesting comments about. Um, and, and then in addition to that, you know, he talked about what he thinks a quarterback, you know, a, a well-developed quarterback in a system should look like and how long he should be on campus with a respective program, Virginia tech or elsewhere. Those are some interesting comments too, that, that I took away. We can get into those as well, but, Rick, I didn't know if you had an opportunity to read into some of these quotes and if you had any initial takeaways, um, and then I can just kind of dive into what I thought of these as well, just kind of sitting in on that press conference today. Yeah, so um, obviously I wasn't able to sit in on it, so I read it after I got off work today, and um, there's a lot. Uh, there's been a lot of hubbub apparently about him saying that he he wasn't surprised that Hendon Hooker transferred, and then Hendon subtweeted that. Um, which I mean, whatever, like, was anyone really shocked that Hendon Hooker left after the ending to his 2020 season? I mean, if you were shocked, then I, I don't think you were really observing, um, correctly, Agreed. maybe mildly surprised, but really not surprising at all. And then Quincy, we were shocked that he hadn't transferred already. Like we were right. shocked that that thing didn't get announced three weeks or with three weeks left in the year. Right. Uh, so that wasn't surprising at all. To me, the the quote that should be getting the most attention here is when discussing Hendon and Quincy transferring out, uh, Brad Cornelson said that he thinks quarterbacks need to give three years to whatever program they sign with out of high school. And I think that that's interesting um, because both Hendon and Quincy gave three years uh, to Virginia tech football. 
Um, and they decided that they would be better off leaving after, after that time. So what does that say about this, this coaching staff? What does that say about this offense? Right. So it was kind of a self own in the sense that like Brad Cornelson just dunked on himself by basically saying these guys, these guys did what I asked them to do. And they did not feel like they were, they were getting enough out of the deal to stick around. Right. So like, like, hello, are you tone deaf, Brad? Like, come on, man. I mean, I don't know. To to me, it was just a kind of a, a a reassurance that Brad Cornelson does not need to be coaching quarterbacks at Virginia Tech. So the, the piece that I took away, let's start with Quincy Patterson, you know, and his decision to transfer out, like you mentioned, not a surprise, right? At all, like none, zero. the bigger surprise to me was that he stuck around as long as he did. Um, I didn't anticipate, and I'm sure we talked about it at some point on the show last off season. I didn't anticipate that Quincy Patterson would have stuck around uh, going into the new season. I think COVID might have derailed things a little bit, to be quite honest with you. If you think back to last spring, you know, we had talked about going into spring practice before all the COVID stuff happened that, Quincy Patterson, it was a big spring for him, right? It was an opportunity for him to decide and figure out kind of what his place was in the Virginia Tech football program. And when there was no spring practice and everything was shut down and you didn't really have a regular summer workout schedule or even a normal fall camp by the time we got to it, Quincy Patterson elected to stay in Blacksburg. Now, it didn't end up harming him in any way because of the NCAA eligibility rules, no skin off his back. He didn't lose a year of eligibility or anything like that. But my point is with Quincy Patterson, I think he would have had a bit more clarity about his stance in in the depth chart, the pecking order, if there was a spring practice and things ended up working out the way that it did in the fall, where he fell back to essentially the third quarterback, right, in the rotation. Braxton Burmeister had jumped him. Uh, Burmeister had started ahead of Hendon Hooker, which brings me to my second point. The Hendon Hooker piece didn't surprise me either, the fact that he transferred out, especially when you consider the fact that Braxton Burmeister played the majority of of the season finale against Virginia. He played, you know, Hooker did not play well against Clemson, so there was a reason for Tech to make the decision to switch quarterbacks to try to win that final game of the year. And you think about it, too, at the beginning of the year, I wonder, Rick, if all things were created equal, right, and you had Hooker in a scenario where he was fully healthy from the jump, even at the beginning of the year, does the outlook change, right? That, that's a question only the coaching staff can answer, right? Does, does Burmeister still start those first two games? And I think the answer initially I would have told you was no, Hooker definitely would have started. But when you consider how the quarterbacks were handled towards the end of the year, right, and Hooker didn't have a great year for Virginia Tech. And Burmeister wasn't that overwhelmingly good either. But when you think about how the quarterbacks ended up being used at the end of the year, it seemed like Burmeister was getting more of a shot down the stretch, which makes me wonder if maybe Burmeister was going to be the guy all along. And then, you know, we know he was banged up. He had a foot issue that was documented as well, that, that he was hurt and couldn't practice for a number of weeks. So I just wonder if both quarterbacks are fully healthy is Burmeister the starter for the majority of the year? I'm not sure the answer is just a slam dunk. No, it definitely would have been Hooker. I'm not sure that's the answer anymore, Rick, considering what we saw at the end of the year. Absolutely. Um, I, I kind of, I kind of had that suspicion that that the coaching staff always 
preferred Braxton Burmeister, mm -hmm. uh, which just blows my mind. If you credit Andrew, Rick, by the way, I don't mean to cut you off, but credit Andrew because he said that to us yep. last off season. He yep. mentioned that he said, "Guys, you're not gonna you're not gonna buy this, and you're not gonna agree." And you and I were in the same camp on this that Hooker should be the yep. guy. But he mentioned, he said, look, the coaching staff really likes Burmeister. He said it on this podcast before. Yes, he did. Yeah. Yes, he did. And um, in hindsight, we shouldn't have been surprised right. by that, given, given how Hendon was treated the year before with Ryan Willis mm -hmm. um, and how it, 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 it seemed like Tech was very, very, very hesitant to bench Ryan Willis in favor of Hendon Hooker. Um, again, I just think this is an indictment on Brad Cornelson and his inability to develop quarterbacks at Virginia Tech. You know, he talks about wanting to have five, four to five guys. I think they, I think he said specifically five was the number that they would like to have. Right. Uh, but it, it does fluctuate from year to year. Um if he were able to make quarterbacks feel like they were being developed, that wouldn't be a problem. Right. But it is a problem. Uh, and it's been a problem since, since 2016. So it's not something that's getting better. And after year five, you're not supposed to have these kinds of problems. Right. So, I mean, I, I I'm very happy that Brad Cornelson was at, you know, talking to the media today and, I think that that's really important, like like you mentioned, to make the fan base feel like they're not being ignored. But um, some some self ownership of the coaching staff's faults and their their role in Virginia Tech's demise over the last few seasons, some some self some public self ownership of that would be nice, right? And it, to me, that's not what we're getting at all out of this. And that's extremely discouraging because part of fixing a problem is recognizing there is one. And it doesn't sound like that this coaching staff is worried much at all about their quarterback depth. And, you know, we can kind of transition that into, into the Blumwork conversation and how they're talking about, you know, having – the fact that we're in we're at a point where a power five football program is relying on a player who hasn't played quarterback in what a season and a half yep. to to be the backup quarterback and to contend for the number one job just blows my damn mind. And I, I don't know. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, Brad Cornelson said today, you know, there was a question about the depth of the quarterback room and whether or not he felt like Virginia Tech needed to bring on another quarterback in, through the transfer portal. And he said, no, he was satisfied having the four quarterbacks, four scholarship quarterbacks on the roster. Of course, that being Braxton Burmeister, Texas A&M transfer, Connor Blumrick, uh, freshman Taj Bullock, an incoming true freshman, by the way, Taj Bullock, um, and, and then Knox Kadem as well, who's been in the program now a few years. So when you look at it and take a step back, yes, he has four scholarship quarterbacks on the roster. Yes. Braxton Burmeister is a veteran. He's now been at Virginia tech. This is going to be his third season with the Virginia tech football program, but he's been banged up and he's had injury issues. One of the main things that Brad Cornelson brought up about, you know, what he would like to see Burmeister improve on in the off season. Number one, it was his touch with some of his passes because sometimes he felt like 
Burmeister put too much air under the ball on even some of the short passes. But the part that stood out to me was the second part of it. He said that he needed to get into the weight room and become a more durable quarterback, which immediately I took a step back because number one, he redshirted now two seasons ago, um, his first year on campus coming over from Oregon. He, he redshirted, right? So he was in the weight room. There was nothing else that he could do. He's got a certain stature about him. He's not going to put on a ton of weight, Ricky. He's not, he just doesn't have, and that's not a, that's not a slight at Burmeister. By like how, how tall are you? I'm five nine. I'm not very big. Wow, you! I definitely thought you were taller. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm only five nine. But like, but I feel like you and Braxton have kind of that same build, where you know you're medium height and kind of skinny. Right. And that's just what Braxton is. Right. He he doesn't have the frame that Quincy Patterson has. Where at one point Quincy was up to like two sixty, and yeah. they were telling him to slow down on the weights because he was just he was bulking up so much. Right. Um, or even Hendon, where Hendon was able to get up to 220. Yeah. Um, because he has at least you know, a bit wider shoulders. Braxton's a small dude. He's not big. And, um, you know, I, I was reading Andy, uh, Andy Bitter's kind of review of the press conference today, and he made a good point. I mean, Braxton Burmeister um, had, what, three separate injuries throughout yep. the year. Yeah, uh, th- that's a that's a real problem. Like his first year of action in Blacksburg, and he has three separate, completely unrelated injuries. Exactly, and, and the thing I took away too was like, okay, he needs to get in the weight room and become more durable. That's you know essentially what Brad Cornelson said, you know, to to kind of avoid those injuries. But the other thought I had is, he's not going to be a quarterback that's going to be able to run the ball the way that Cornelson runs the quarterbacks in his offense. I mean. You think about historically, like Gerard Evans, even Josh Jackson a little bit, you know, these guys have been a bigger build and definitely Quincy Patterson when he played just a bigger build, like run the quarterback right up the middle. Like Burmeister is very good in the read option game. We've said that like running the football, making the reads in the option game, he's very good at, and he's very good and elusive on the run, right? He's not a run between the tackles type quarterback. Cornelson likes to run that read fake where the quarterback goes right up the middle, kind of like an inverted veer look with his yeah, offense. That's exactly what and, it is. And, and Burmeister cannot run that play without getting himself beat up. He's just not that big of a guy. He's a different type of quarterback. I'm not saying he can't be successful running the read option. We've seen it, but that inverted veer play that's been a staple of the Virginia tech offense under Brad Cornelson. If you're relying on Braxton Burmeister to carry the ball with that inverted veer play five to 10 times per game, he's not going to last the full season, which brings us to the depth conversation, right? Your depth is Connor Blumrick, who hasn't played quarterback in a year and a half from Texas A&M. Oh, by the way, on Blumrick, Cornelson was asked today whether he thought Blumrick could play other positions. He said, well, he could. That's not the plan. The plan is for him to play quarterback. Yeah, which is not exactly what you want to hear about your backup quarterback that you, that he could play other positions. Like you should be dead set on him playing quarterback. Right. And it, it's clear he said, okay, it's not the plan, but he didn't outright say no either, Rick. Yeah. So Blumrick's athletic, right? It, it's clear that, you know, that, that was the draw to go to get him from Texas A&M. The fact that he was athletic, he could move him all around. But if that's the case, then just don't have him play quarterback, have him play somewhere else. And I'm not saying Blumrick can't be successful. Go have him play just another position on the field. If you're not totally sold with him at quarterback. Okay. Wide receiver depth's pretty small. right and you know what rick look the way i look at it is if you think he can play other positions great 
play him in other positions. Another athletic guy in the room can't hurt. But if he's going to be your primary backup quarterback option going into the year, other than a true freshman in Knox Kadem, that's the problem, in my opinion. And when we look at Burmeister's issues staying on the field, because that's all we've seen. We've seen the issues with him getting hurt, right? And that's all we know of him at Virginia Tech. If that continues heading into next season, Tech's going to need another quarterback, regardless of performance. We're not even talking about performance. We're talking about just the ability to stay on the field. And that's what concerns me. If, you know, Burmeister and, and Cornelson said today, Burmeister is the clear-cut number one quarterback if the season started tomorrow. That's the first time we've heard that out of, you know, flat out out of a Virginia Tech head coach, offensive coordinator, whoever ever. on the offensive staff ever since Fuente's gotten here. And that's with, you know, Gerard Evans obviously was a one and done, but Josh Jackson having a very successful year one, he, you know, coming into year two, it was pretty clear he was going to be the starting quarterback. But he didn't outright say it. He left the door no, they open didn't. for head to hooker, you'll remember, Rick. Like, this is never they went, been they went out of their way to say that he hadn't earned the starting role yet. Right. They have never gone out of their way to say, okay, this guy's the clear cut number one. So the fact that they're saying that right now, it doesn't necessarily mean that Burmeister is lighting the world on fire really good. It means that you're not confident in the people behind him. That's what that means to me. And that's the, how many, how many quarterbacks, how many quarterbacks has tech had to play in the last two seasons? (sighs) Three. Go down the list, right? Ryan Willis. Each year. Yeah. Ryan Willis. Yeah. Quincy. in. Yeah, I mean, and actually, and actually, if we consider it, um, in last year they played four. Yeah. So, yep. so, so they've played three quarterbacks and four quarterbacks in each of their last two seasons. Yeah. So, are you comfortable with Knox Kadem taking significant snaps in in twenty twenty one? Because I'm not. Are you, no. are you comfortable with I mean, the possibility that Taj Bullock might have to take significant snaps in in twenty twenty one? I mean, because ideally, ideally, I'd like to have, you know, in a perfect world, like you're expecting Bullock to contribute down the line, right? I yes. mean, he's a big, he's a big armed, big body quarterback. He seems like he's got the perfect build for Cornelson's offense, much like Gerard Evans, right? He's a big guy. He comes from a very successful fo- football program in New Jersey. You recruited him to play a significant role in your offense at some point. That can't be next year, in my opinion. He's not ready. No. Like, no. he's not ready. So, if it comes to that, I mean, Virginia Tech's in a world of trouble. And that doesn't mean that he can come in and, and you know, that doesn't mean he can't come in and be good, but he's going to be a freshman and freshmen make mistakes. And I think if you're not even talking about him, you're talking about Connor Blummer, a kid who hasn't played quarterback in a year and a half, who could play other positions, but it's not the plan being the primary plan B. And the fact, the bigger takeaway for me, Ricky, the fans were going crazy today, right, about the fact that, you know, Cornelson came out and he said that, you know, these guys leaving wasn't much of a surprise. And that's what people grabbed onto, right? And you you grabbed onto the three years for a quarterback, which I think is a valid one to grab onto, much more valid than talking about who's already out the door. I don't really care about that, quite honestly. I think you grabbed onto a valid point. And the one I grabbed onto was the fact there was no clear cut. It, it was a clear cut quarterback draw with the depth chart, right? It was going to be, and it's, and it's by default. It's not because he's by default. He's he's well, like you said. It's not like he's lit the world on fire and and right. absolutely earned the starting role. Right. He's earned the starting role because Virginia Tech has failed to supplement their quarterback de- talent and depth. This has to be the worst quarterback room that Justin Fuentes had in his time at Virginia Tech. I'm not sure it's even debatable. 
I'm not sure that this quarterback room is entirely better than the quarterback room that Justin Fuente inherited in late 2015. I would agree with that. I think I, I think I think the talent is probably slightly better given that Burmeister is a pretty good athlete, Blumrick's a pretty good athlete. Yeah. Taj Bullock is has a chance to be a moderately good player. But in terms of red like ready-made depth, um there isn't really a, a giant difference between the quarterback room in 2015 and the quarterback room in 2021. Right. I mean, Burmeister's the only one with starting experience, really. Um, Kadem doesn't have it. Uh, Kadem's play, you know, had to play out of necessity against Clemson, but yeah. like Kadem doesn't have starting experience. Bullock's a, a true freshman, and Blumrick. I have to go back and see if he ever started a game at Texas. Blumrick was but playing Kelly- special teams last year. That's all you need to know. Right. So, you know, he hasn't been a significant option at quarterback at Texas A&M in the past. So Which also, by the way, the fact that you're taking Daryl Dickey's advice on Connor Blumrick, let's not forget that Daryl Dickey was the guy who basically eschewed Connor Blumrick out of the quarterback position. Right. So, so now we're going to decide based off of that advice that he could still play quarterback. And why wasn't he playing it before? Yeah, exactly. My question. Every every time this coaching staff gets to the microphone, I feel less and less confident about the leadership in this program. And I hate saying that because there are some really nice people in this coaching staff, some some really good people, really good men who are great dads and, and great citizens. But in terms of their ability to lead this football program, I am losing confidence every single time they, they hit the mic and it's um, it's not good. It's definitely not good going into year six when your quarterback by default is Braxton Burmeister. That's again, not a slight at Burmeister, just the fact that it is kind of a slight at Burmeister because Burmeister hasn't developed in his own right. Yeah, I also would like to see – I would like to see more out of him too, just like see him in a larger sample size in this offense. And we're going to get that opportunity, it sounds like, as long as he stays on the field. So we'll really know what we got. There were some signs of some – again, read option game, really good, extremely good runner. He made some big-time throws against UVA. But – It'll be interesting to see now moving forward if he can be fully healthy, if he can be the guy for a full season and what that looks like at full health. And there's no, I mean, there's no excuses, right? I mean, this is going to be his program at the quarterback position. My question too, keeping him upright, and this kind of is a transition in next topic. Brad Cornelson talked about the offensive line quite a bit and said that he felt like Virginia Tech had some, you know, obviously the pieces that you have to replace and, Brian Hudson and Doug Nestor are, you know, that's tough. And then obviously Christian Derrissaw, you know, Tech is going to be thin at tackle and Cornelson acknowledged that. He said he did feel like there were some guys who played inside that could be bumped outside. And he felt like Tech had a little bit of false depth, but he said there's no question about it. They're going to find out quickly in the spring what the depth chart and pecking order could look like this fall going into camp at the offensive tackle position, which I think without question, as far as this offense goes, you know, I think that's the biggest concern if I'm a Virginia Tech fan. Like if Burmeister stays healthy, I think he can be serviceable enough. The bigger question for me 
Rick, is the offensive line number one and how to replace Khalil Herbert number two. Even though you got like 14 running backs, somebody's got to step up and fill that void. Yeah, um, not not confident at all that they're going to be able to find a a running back that was even as close to as good as Khalil Herbert last year. Um, offensive line is going to be a huge issue. Silas Danzi is going to have to move back outside, right? Yeah, I, I think mean, so too. He he's he's one of the only one of the few uh, linemen on the roster left that has experience at the at the collegiate level playing tackle. Um, I'm not they. He mentioned Brock Hoffman as a possible option. I don't see him being a very good player on the perimeter. Um, I'm not so sure about Lasita Smith. I know Lasitas was a, a tight end in high school, so he's not – I mean, he's a relatively athletic offensive lineman, and there's a chance that he maybe could could go out there, but I'm not sure he has the length to, to yep. be as good on the, on the outside. But how they handle that's going to be huge. Um, and it's obviously a problem when you consider they need to protect the quarterback <laughs> and – we're sitting here talking about having no clue who the the right tackle is going to be because presumably Luke Tenuta is going to slide to the left and, yeah. and be this team's starting left tackle. And he even even he has had his own problems. Um, you know, one would hope that he would improve going into another year, but he has been inconsistent in his own right. Um, but really just on a broader scale, the entire offense is riddled with question marks. Um one of the things that they talked about today was their their inability to get James Mitchell involved as much as they'd like. And they said that one of the things that they talked about, you know, this, this winter was how do we get James Mitchell the ball more? And that's got to be one of the biggest priorities on offense, right? Because they talked about how the defense um, often dictates where they're going with the football, but you can't let the defense take away your best option every single game. James Mitchell is probably the most explosive, most reliable playmaker on this offense. And <clears throat> you need to give him the football. Right. And if you're allowing defenses to just scheme him out every single time, well, then what does that say about your abilities as a play call? Agree. I mean, the coaching staff said, you know, they want to try to get him the ball more. Another guy who they mentioned being really excited about is Jaden Payute, which, I mean, we we were hoping to Leave see him. Leave it when I see it. <laughs> we were hoping to see him. He, you know, obviously had the foot injury and didn't participate at all this year. So hopefully at full health with his size and athleticism, uh, hopefully he's able to make an impact. I want to transition over to the defense, Ricky, because Justin Hamilton spoke to reporters today as well. And before I just get into what Hamilton said, I want to get your thoughts about the higher JC price to replace Daryl Tapp, because we didn't get to talk about price being hired on the last podcast happened a couple days after actually, right when we got done recording the Bruce Smith interview later last Wednesday afternoon is when the JC price news broke. So we haven't had a chance to talk about it yet. What are your thoughts on the price hire? Of all realistic options, this was probably the best one. Agree. Um, that's not to say that this hire is going to be as good as Daryl Tapp in this position because it's right. Um, but what you're getting is you're getting someone who was obviously ingrained in 
um, the Virginia Tech culture, someone yep. who is emotionally invested in the football program. You're getting someone with a lot of coaching experience, albeit at the G5 level. You're getting someone with a lot of recruiting experience in the state of Virginia, even though he's from Maryland. You're getting someone who can try and attack some of Virginia Tech's problems with a different perspective. J.C. Price has, to my knowledge, has not been on a Justin Fuente staff in the past. So you're getting someone who doesn't think like Justin. You're getting someone who doesn't think like all of these guys that Justin has had past experience with. And he is someone who can maybe try and attack some of these problems with a different perspective and a different mindset. And I think that that's absolutely valuable. Right. Um, I, I respect the hell out of Doc Holliday. I think Marshall is absolutely moronic for letting him go. Good hire with um, Huff, though. What's that? The good hire with Charles Huff, though. I'm, <laughs> I'm excited about that hire. I wouldn't have fired. Look, I wouldn't have fired Holiday either. I don't mean to get off track, but I, I didn't mind the Charles Huff hire. I thought if you're going to make the idiotic move to fire Holiday and you hire yeah. Huff, I mean that might be that might be a decent hire. We'll see how that works. Yeah, I I, yeah, I, I agree. But I think just the, the, my main point is Doc Holiday knows what he's doing. Definitely. Yep. And, and you have someone who's been learning under him now for quite some time. I think that's a terrific hire. Um, I do like that they are they are giving him a clear defined role as the lead defensive recruiter. Yep. Um, I like that they created the position on the offensive side of the ball. I don't necessarily agree with the person that they put in that role in Adam Lechtenberg. But I think J.C. Price is probably – the closest thing you are realistically going to find to Daryl Tapp. Um, so oh, I actually think it was a, a terrific hire. Um, Me too. And I'm moderately confident that J.C. Price will will turn out to be a productive coach for however long he's in Blacksburg. Yeah, I think it's a good hire because you have the connection to Virginia Tech, you know, obviously being a, a very good player in Blacksburg. Um, so you have the connection to the school there, which I think was good. You obviously lost that with Daryl Tapp. Justin Hamilton said the first thing, you know, the staff had to do when trying to find Daryl Tapp's replacement is to understand that they were not going to be able to replace Daryl Tapp. And he was pretty honest and blunt with that. I agree with it. I mean, Daryl Tapp and Hamilton's own words, he said he's a once in a lifetime human being. And that's just, that's not just football coach, former player, that's, you know, family man and everything he's about. So you're not just going to replace that overnight. But he said, if you're trying to find somebody to replace Daryl Tapp and bring, you know, some energy into the room in that position, he said he couldn't be more thrilled that J.C. Price is that guy, right? Um, you know, one of the one of the boys from the staff, you know, one of the boys from the Virginia Tech program is able to come in and contribute as a staff member so i think the seventh, i'm with you the the seventh former player who's now on the staff uh which theoretically in in air quotes theoretically should help with virginia tech's alumni relations problem which does exist despite some people trying to claim that it doesn't yeah it exists um bruce smith the the greatest player in virginia tech history i think bruce smith is a better player than michael vick i don't care what anybody says and michael vick means a lot to this football program bruce smith is the greatest player in virginia tech history he came out flat out on this podcast and said that virginia tech has an alumni relations issue he said that 
So if he's the greatest player in program history, and he's saying it, I don't care what anybody else says or thinks like there is an issue there that needs to be fixed. I think having seven members, um, seven former players, members of the football program on your staff is a good thing for that, at least as a starting point to try to fix that. I think it can help recruiting because you have the connection to Virginia Tech, the connection to Virginia. I do think if you give this staff a little, and I don't know if they'll be afforded that time because wins and losses are going to be all that matters, but I do think some of these hires that they've made, and it's a shame we didn't see it with Daryl Tapp because I think we really could have seen some improvement in recruiting. I know that they're really hoping J.C. Price is able to do that. He is familiar with Virginia. He knows how to recruit in Virginia. He's done it before on other staffs. He knows what he's doing there. But having him on staff is really helpful. Not having Tap hurts. But I do think it's, it's solid. Um, a couple other takeaways real quick, Ricky, from the press conference from Justin Hamilton's standpoint. He mentioned that, you know, they, they've been really focusing um, and a big focus in the spring is going to be working on the verbiage so that players are hearing the same thing from all the coaches on the defensive side of the ball. He's thinking of it as addition by subtraction, right? So understanding what worked in this past season, what didn't work in his first year as defensive coordinator and simplifying the scheme a little bit. Virginia Tech did that in the last few games of the year. The players talked about that and they said it was a bit easier for them to kind of know what they were doing on the fly. The defense did play better in the last couple of games of the year. So I can understand how that would have helped them if they weren't just totally sitting there thinking, okay, what's my assignment? What do I need to do? Justin Hamilton, it's clear that he acknowledged that. So the fact that he addressed that today was a good thing, I think. I, I, I disagree. Um, I do think it was a good for them at the end of the year to do that. Um, because at that point you're in, you're in short-term win-now mode and you need to do whatever it takes to make your team have a better chance to win football games. With hopefully, and again, hopefully, because who, who the hell knows what's going to go on with the virus, hopefully Virginia Tech is going to have a, a full semi-normal off-season program um, that Justin Hamilton did not have last year. Right. Wouldn't this be the perfect time to get everyone up to speed as to where they should be instead of teaching them kind of the, the bland scheme? From, from, what I, from what I understand, he wants to reinforce the key parts of the scheme in the spring before adding in the fall is, what I, is how I kind of understood that and kind of how we explained it today. So he wanted to just kind of go back to the key concepts that worked on the field, the key facets of the scheme that he's trying to run he mentioned concepts a lot, but I think his main takeaway for the spring was to just kind of focus and reinforce the key concepts of the scheme and build on that, which I get that he wasn't able to do that last offseason because it was insane. But to your point, that should be something that he is able to do this offseason, assuming all goes according to plan and we're able to kind of get back to normal operations from a sports and life standpoint um, heading into the fall. But that's kind of how I understood it, which... If that's the case, I think that's exactly how you need to do it. I'm not a football Yeah, that would, that, be, that would be a lot better. Um, yeah. But I would be very disappointed if if they go into um, go into the start of the season and they have not elevated themselves beyond what they were running on the field at the end right. of last year. Agree. No, I'm, I'm totally with you there. All right. I'm with you there. Um, so that's it, I believe, on the football side. Um, Virginia Tech will be interesting kind of heading into – the spring 
to just kind of see what this team looks like. I'm and who and who will undoubtedly transfer out after spring practice because there's always a few guys right that transfer out after spring. Which I mean, we thought would happen last spring, and then you know you had all that. And we just well, last spring was a lot different, <laughs> and last spring was a lot different. So it sounds like we're going to get at least it's looking like we're going to have normal spring camp, which would be great. I mean, you get an idea of you know what the team is going to look like heading to the summer and the fall, and who's going to transfer in, who's going to transfer out. Because I agree with you, I don't think Tech is done there yet, either from guys transferring out or guys transferring in. I think either way, this that story is far from over. I still think we're going to have some roster movement uh, before the season takes place. The transfer portal lives on. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. It's, <laughs> it's kind of like free agency, I guess. I don't know. Uh, uh, let's talk about basketball real quick. Virginia Tech loses to Pittsburgh last Wednesday night. It was a really ugly game on the road at Pitt. Uh, the Hokies rebound with, a really hard-nosed effort against Miami. Tech didn't play particularly well. Um, they couldn't really close the door on Miami uh, in the second half. They actually let Miami back into the game. Miami, with a huge three from their best player, Isaiah Wong, uh, takes the lead late before Hunter Couture hits a huge three-pointer as time expires. There's controversy. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, he, he makes everything. There, were question, there was a question and some controversy over whether or not he stepped out of bounds, you know, prior to taking the shot and I, whether or not it was a reviewable play. I don't really care about any of that. Couture makes a three, sends it to overtime, and then Tech was dominant in the overtime period, securing the, the victory on the road. Two tough road games in the ACC, Rick. We talked a little bit on the last podcast about, you know, the Syracuse loss that took place and how Virginia Tech was kind of due to lay an egg. Coming off of the UVA game, I did expect Virginia Tech to have a bit of a letdown. I was surprised that they outright lost to Pitt, but it was nice to see them kind of rebound back against Miami and find a way to secure a tough win on the road when everything was kind of going against them late in that game. Mike, you sent out a tweet after Tech lost to Pitt, I believe it was, and you talked about just how bananas this conference is. Yeah. And – it's kind of like that both in basketball and football, right? Yep. Where like things just fluctuate so much from week to week and teams are extremely unpredictable. Uh, tech is not exempt from that. No. Um, even though Mike Young has built a pretty good roster, all things considered, um, they're not exempt to the ebbs and flows of a season. And um, the last two games were obviously – an ebb (laughs) um they they look kind of disjointed on offense against Pitt um KV Aluma struggled against Miami in terms of efficiency um they're 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 going to improve but I think it was I think it was probably good for the fan base in terms of obviously the fan base wants them to win but the fan base also needs to make sure they understand that Tech is not like a top 10 team in the country. And like, it's okay to admit that. Like that's, that's not a a giant negative, right? Right. Like this is a good team. This is a good team with flaws. This is a good team that is not going to look good some nights. A good team with flaws and a good team with youth. And those two often are intertwined. And that's something that we've talked about quite frequently and something that continues to kind of pop up. And the fact that they lost that game to Pittsburgh 
was not a huge surprise given the youth on the roster, right? And given how Virginia Tech has been prone this year to offensive slumps in the middle of games. That's been a consistent theme all year long for this Tech team. There's only been a few games where they've clicked from start to finish offensively. Quite frequently, especially in ACC play and most especially on the road, there tends to be stretches where Virginia Tech goes five, six minutes without a field goal, which isn't, look, you're in the ACC. Road games are not easy. I don't care if there's an atmosphere there or not. I know things are a little weird this year, but going on the road in conference and having to travel is not an easy thing to do in this conference with the way the basketball is. Sure, there's not the star power in this conference that there has been in years past, but there's still a lot of good teams or at least a lot of decent teams this year, even with like an overall down conference, I'd say. There's more depth this year than there has been in a while in the ACC where there's a lot more teams just kind of in the middle that are good most nights, but some nights they just kind of lay an egg and leave you kind of scratching your head. Virginia Tech is one of those teams still, and that's okay. Yeah. Um, anytime you have to fly to Miami, like that's there, there are inherent, you know, possibilities that come with that. And in, in the sense that you may not have your best game. Right. Um, I actually texted Dave, Dave Scarangelo, who's been on the podcast and we'll be back this off season. I actually texted Dave and I told him tech's going to lose this game. And I think a lot of people probably agreed. And the fact that they were able to not, lose the game is an encouraging sign. I was really looking forward to seeing them play Florida state. It's a shame that that got postponed. Um, I was really looking forward to seeing how they would respond with three kind of tough grueling games in, in, in what was it like six days? Yeah. I think it was three Um, and six days. Yeah. Which I mean, in two of which are on the road, one of which is a long trip. Like that would have been a really tough stretch for them. And I think it would have, it would have taught us a bit about this, this team's fortitude. Um, obviously the, the Louisville game this weekend is massive. Totally up um, in the air too, with Louisville's COVID issues. Chris Mack, I guess, is in quarantine and he's not going yeah. to coach if that game takes place on Saturday. So they have some issues. There hasn't been any, uh, knock on wood, Rick, but as we sit here recording Wednesday night, we know how this works. I'll, I'll post this tonight or tomorrow morning and we'll inevitably get news that, this game has been postponed because that's how the world yeah. works. But as of right now, this very moment, this game has not been postponed yet, but Chris Mack is not going to be coaching. So they're having COVID issues their own, but it's a huge game. Yeah, it is. And a lot of teams are having COVID issues right now. And, and that's just kind of going to be the way this season's going to work, but. That's been lucky. Yeah. And, and, and you know what? And, 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 you know, I'm glad that you said that they were lucky and not that they, you know, showed extraordinary discipline, like <laughs> another, yeah, it's a virus. another, Another school tried to claim um, that didn't really work so well in the end. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I mean, look, like tech has been lucky. Um, They've obviously been pretty disciplined as well, because even though you're disciplined, you may not be lucky, but um, you have to, you basically have to be disciplined in order to get lucky in terms of this. Right. And tech has obviously been, been both. So yeah, hopefully tech is able to make it through without any real COVID issues. I really hope they they can. I'm skeptical because again, it's a virus. There's only so many things you can do about it. And yep. um, the fact that these guys are playing hard through all of this stuff is impressive enough. So yeah, um, I'm very curious to see like if this Louisville game happens, which I really hope it does. I am very interested to see how Tech is able to respond in this game. And something else we still need to touch on, Tyrese Radford may be coming back. Yeah, he's, he, he made it's looking trip. real good. It's he looking good. He made the trip to Miami. 
Yeah. Mike Young talked about how he has been contrite and he has um, basically been welcomed back with open arms, which it wasn't, wasn't a surprise. I don't think, I know I don't know if you've heard this, but I haven't heard this. I've never heard one bad thing about Tyrese Radford in his time in Blacksburg. Nope. Um, we don't know the circumstances of the case, so I'm not really going to comment on that. Other than him pleading guilty for the driving while intoxicated, which is a misdemeanor and no contest to that gun charge, a concealed carry. Um, that's yeah, kind of the extent of it. But as far yeah. as like the ins and outs of it, I'm like we don't know. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pass judgment on Tyrese Radford, right. but the fact that he is close to coming back leads me to leads me to believe that um, Tyrese is handling this like an adult. Yep. And um, which is which is obviously encouraging. And if that's the case for him, I hope he gets to come back because we all we all make mistakes. Some of us make bigger mistakes than others, and we should have to pay a price for that. And then we should be able to move on with the rest of our lives. And I hope that for Tyrese's sake, that he's able to handle this stuff efficiently and correctly, and then move on with his life. And if, and if that means he's able to play later this year, then great. And if not, then that's fine too. Yep. But if he comes back, that does change the dynamic again for this team quite, quite seriously, because, they could really, really use his his ability to score from the perimeter and his hustle on the wing. Yeah, I mean, he's a guy who undoubtedly is one of Virginia Tech's best players when he's on the floor. And he's not a guy who's going to just take over a game and score 25 or 30 points, but he's going to be consistently in that 13 or 14 point per game range. And he's a slasher type, you know, again, not a huge three point shooter, but he's very good defensively on the perimeter. And he's very good at cutting and slashing to the hoop, which is something that Virginia tech has missed. And the Hokies have, have gone these stretches in games without scoring. And that was happening even before Radford left the lineup, right? They were having these stretches, but having another guy who can kind of create his own shot and add offense to the mix, I think is really valuable. And it'll be good to, to have him back. Cause I think it is looking good that that happens whether or not that's this weekend against Louisville kind of remains to be seen, but the fact that he traveled to Miami is obviously a really good sign. So somebody that hasn't, yeah, somebody that hasn't really stepped up as much as I would have hoped was uh, Naheem Aline. Yeah. And part of it's, I think, because he's a good player. He's not a great player, but he's also a young player and he's probably still trying to, to re-ingratiate himself into kind of this newer role. Right. Um, and if if Radford comes back, that takes a ton of pressure off of him. Yeah. And I think that would just kind of not only boost the team, but individually, it would boost Naheem's ability to be efficient. It would open up the three point line for him a lot, because right now he's kind of playing this in between role that I'm not sure he's totally comfortable with. Hunter Couture, I think it's pretty clear that at this point in his career, Couture is more comfortable with the kind of do everything role where he can drive to the hoop and play defense and shoot the three. Naheem Aline has shown that in bursts. He hasn't shown it as consistently as Hunter Couture. So I think Couture is a little bit further along his development, which wasn't the case coming into the year, by the way. I thought Aline was much better as a freshman than Couture was, but Couture has really made a jump here in year two. And I think if there was a single player, Ricky, and that was a great point by you, I think if there's a single player that benefits most from a potential return of Tyrese Radford, I think it's got to be Naheem Aline with the way he played earlier in the year with Radford in the lineup and the fact that he's going to have a role that he's a bit more comfortable in, I think will be huge for him. Also, real quick, Joe Bamasiel, friend of the pod, five of oh, ten yeah. against Miami, Show. eleven points, 
Three so, assists, two boards, no turnovers. Very, yeah. Probably his best game so far. Yeah, definitely uh, his best game. Uh, Joe. If, if they're able to work him into the rotation, he can be somebody that maybe gives you a few nice buckets off the bench. Yep, and Mike Young said that Bamisil had played well enough to uh, expand the rotation, and he said Bamisil had earned a role, and he went so far as to say that Bamisil will be in against Louisville before the first media timeout. So not only has he worked his way into the rotation, but with or without Tyrese Radford, I don't know what his status will be for Saturday, but even if he doesn't play, it sounds like Bamisil is going to not only be in the rotation, but be one of those first guys off the bench. <laughs> and Man, he's been waiting for that opportunity. Um, I texted yeah. him after the game, after the Miami game. I shot him a text. I said, Joe, way to play. He texted me back, and he said he was waiting for that chance. So it's awesome to see him get out there and play well. We were all obviously expecting for him to have a huge role, given what kind of recruit he was. He showed flashes of that when he was able to get into the game on Saturday, so it was good to see. He didn't look as comfortable early in the year, but he looked much more comfortable out there on Saturday, and it was clear that Mike Young knew that and rode him with extended minutes, which – is something that we hadn't seen a lot out of Bamisil this year. Saw him in pinches. He wasn't great. Saw him on Saturday against Miami. He was much better. So that was obviously a welcome sight to see for Tech fans. Definitely. So we'll have to see if Bamisil is able to carve out a consistent role, which if he does, I think that that really changes things for this team because, it, it again, it goes back to taking pressure off Nahima Lean, who I still think is one of their better scorers off the perimeter. Um, anything else you got for basketball? Nothing for basketball. Before we get out of here, Rick, we got to give two shout outs. Number one is to Andrew, right? Andrew, shout out to you. Come back soon. Number two is to the Virginia <laughs> Tech wrestling team. The Virginia Tech wrestling team beat NC State. It was nuts at the end of last week. I don't know enough about wrestling. I didn't watch the match live. I did watch the highlight of it. It was ridiculous. It was a gigantic win for Tony Roby and the wrestling program. I'm going to want to learn a bit more about wrestling. We're going to have Jersey Pokey on at some point. We've already talked about internally. I know he's going to listen to this podcast. He always tweets us to talk more about wrestling. It's kind of the shtick he has with us. But seriously, he's going to come on, and he's learning this now for the first time. He's going to come on this podcast <laughs> and talk to us about wrestling um, so that I am more knowledgeable about the program and can talk about it on the podcast without sounding like a total idiot. But I want to say shout out to Tony Roby and the coaching staff for getting that done. That's a gigantic win for the wrestling program. Yeah, they're, they've been making moves over there in the wrestling program for a few years now. Um, Tony has, and I've said this before in the pod, but Tony has really expanded on the foundation that Kevin Dresser built before Kevin Dresser yep. left for Iowa State. Um, Tony has taken it and absolutely run with it. He has created a monster of a program. And um, I, I was under the impression that I think last year, Tech kind of felt like they were more of in a, rebu a rebuilding year in a, in a sense. Um, this roster looks absolutely loaded right now in terms yeah. of the ranks. They have like seven ranked wrestlers at the moment. Um, I think three of their wrestlers are in the top seven in their weight class. So uh, definitely a, a congrats to them. Um, they've been absolutely terrific. The women's basketball team has won three conference games in a row, including that, that, that monster upset over NC state. Um, so definitely been a good stretch of athletics here. Definitely. I saw that the, I saw the women's basketball program there, uh, the last four in. I saw on the women's bracketology on ESPN. Um, so 
they're playing good basketball and like we mentioned playing their way and, they, well, and, just... and the crazy thing is they haven't really had they haven't really had a good season no but it seems like they're starting to figure things out and if they do they are going to be in a really good shot for the tournament we just own nc state we beat them in women's basketball we beat them in football <laughs> this past year we just beat a top five wrestling program so <laughs> what up nc state <laughs> um it's looking yeah things are looking up um yeah Rick, anything else from you? Otherwise, we can uh, we can wrap up. Yeah, here. Um, rate, review, subscribe. Um, Mike is, um, I guess, indulging your your degenerate tingles on tally sites. Um, I am. I am. Yes, I am not doing as much on there, but I am putting my picks in for tech basketball games at the moment. Um, Andrew is currently calling a basketball game in Lynchburg. Yeah, in Lynchburg. So um, shout out to you for driving all the way out to Lynchburg. <laughs> Dedicated to the job. Yes, yes. he is doing his day job. Um, but yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I think that's all. Yeah, sensible, right? <laughs> he, yeah. He's, he's adulting right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. But no, seriously, that. rate, review, subscribe. Um, share it with your, with your friends. Um, tweet at us if you have topics questions comments troll jobs towards mike only uh no trolling will be accepted towards me or andrew um yes mike loves to indulge the trolls on twitter i've been better about it i've been better <laughs> about have. it yeah for the most ab- part. absolutely now th- there was there was one dust up that we won't get into the specifics on <laughs> just one just <laughs> just one but um, Mike, Mike is, is, is he's open to an intelligent conversation. How about that? Yes, that's good. That's, that's a more <laughs> accurate way to put it. Um, but no, in all seriousness, just share with your buddies. Um, Michael, go ahead and let you send us out. Oh, and go to Main it. Street oh. Farm, dude. What's up? Go to Main Street Farm. If oh, you're Main watching. Street Farm, yeah. Check out Main Street Pharmacy. Check out Ricky on Twitter, Andrew on Twitter. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe like Ricky mentioned to this podcast. Uh, But I think that's it. We'll get out of here. And until next time, Ricky, go Hokies.